For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, good morning. It's morning for me. It's Monday morning. We hope to get this up by tonight or sometime tonight or tomorrow if everything runs well. You're now listening, of course, to the uh, uh, three weeks lecture series, year 2021, which is about the Maimonidean controversies. The title of the series is, of course, Fundamental Disagreement, uh, the Maimonidean Controversies of the Middle Ages. As I mentioned last week, we had to, um, because of so much material, had to add an extra one. So this is going to be a total, of, a grand total of seven lectures. Today's number five out of seven. This is the extra one that was added. And so the, the title of today's lecture is, the fifth lecture is, Jews Burning Books, um, The Controversy in Montpellier, uh, Part 2. Okay? Uh, and today's extra lecture is being sponsored by Ari and Heather Elbaum. Uh, they did it the other day, and in between they had a baby boy. So I guess it'll be in honor of the baby boy, mother and child are doing well. And uh, we wish tremendous models of course, to... Ari and Heather, and to Howard and Judy, and to everybody else, the Suss family and all those. Uh, what a nice, uh, almost is a surprise, but you know what I mean. Notice at the time they put the sponsorship down, they didn't have a baby yet, so they didn't say, in honor of the new child. Um, but we should go from simple to simple, especially that this is the nine days. So you're always looking for a simple. Now, without any further ado, I will go. As I said last time, uh, the Rambam died. Uh, shortly before his Mornebuchim was translated into Hebrew and started to be widely read, because once it's in Hebrew, everybody can read it. Remember, the Rambam himself said this book should not be widely read. I told you that last time. In his intro, he said, this is not for Yeshiva guys, it's not for this type, it's not for this guy, it's only for a very small group of readership. Of course, you and I know, as soon as they say you're not allowed to read this, everybody's going to read it. The whole first section of the Guide for the Perplexed is about how and what not to read literally, particularly anthropomorphisms. You know, when it says God moved, it doesn't mean he moved. When it says God spoke, it doesn't mean he spoke. When it says God came down, or this, that, and the other, it doesn't mean that literally. I mean, that's the whole first part of the Mernabuchim. As I said, the entire approach of the Rambam was a terrific turnoff to many because it sounded as if the Torah had to be read through Aristotelian lenses. If not Aristotle exactly, then at least through the lenses of Greek philosophy. In other words, not simply through common sense, which had always been the standard if you think about it. I've never seen anybody put it in those terms, but to me that's how I understand it. Okay? To the Rambam and his fans, like in Luniel, the problem with common sense was it's not reliable. And it varies from person to person. For example, many had no problems with literalist readings. Some have no problems with God having a hand. I mean, that's their common sense. I mean, really. Uh, there was Ramosh Taku and people like that. Uh, others had a problem with a hand, but they didn't have a problem with the idea that God has emotions. In the Agatha, some had a problem with the story of the bug going up the nose of Titus on Tishabot, and eventually growing into a, a, a gigantic bird with iron claws. 
or they had a problem with the sun standing still, and others did not. I mean, some said it's a miracle. So, it's a miracle. Anything's possible. Once you're going supernatural, you can go all the way. And others had problems with that. The point is, there's no system to common sense. And that bothered many. Now, others, it didn't bother. Actually, there was no trouble at all. They liked it. It's that, what I always call the happy hunting ground of Nomianism. We only care about what the din is. Hashkab is, you know, interpretation of a god that says, and yeah, this one says this, that one says that. But others couldn't stand that. So I would say, then the 13th century, the issue, I mean, people didn't formulate it in these terms, but the issue was, when reading the Torah and the Agadotah, do you interpret it by common sense, or do you interpret it by science, as the term science was understood in the 13th century? This is not so simple. Does the Torah expect you to go by your own intuition? Which means different people interpret it differently, reverently, and a happy hunting ground of nomianism? In that case, I mean, what does God want? If that's the case, literalism is not heresy, even though it may not be accurate. Is this the meaning of Dibra Torah, I mean, the Torah speaks in very anthropomorphic terms, for example. Does that mean it's okay to understand it that way? Even though it may not be what it actually meant? Or does the Torah require you to apply objective criteria as science constructs them? In that case, deviations from these criteria are heresy. So the Rambam would represent the school that there is a right way of understanding everything, and any deviation from the right way is simply wrong. So it knows 4 plus 4 equals 8. That's it. I'm not saying anything good. and It's just the way it is. If you deviate from 4 plus 4 equals 8, you're just wrong. So if you understand God to be 4 plus 4 equals 9, you're just worshiping something that doesn't exist. Or do you go more loose goose? Okay? Now that's only part of the problem, because it got worse. The Rambam himself, as we have seen, at least I've tried to show you, was unique. He was a virtuoso of Torah he was totally, I'm serious, he was totally philosophical, but also totally from, in terms of Shmiras HaMitzvahs, and even lifting me short as I did. I mean, the rabbis are me. Look what he said. He said, I never missed a tefillah Ezra in the morning, except when I was sick. I went to the mikveh every morning like a chassid, right, in Maimonides. A lot of personal chumras he had, okay? And obviously, in terms of Lima Torah, I mean, who is it that put in zillion hours mastering the Torah? And in terms of reverence for Chazal, in the eyes of the Rambam, Chazal are philosophers. But they're superior to philosophers because in addition to philosophy, they have revelation. And so they know things about God that philosophy cannot, uh, uh, cannot know. So it's the old line, if Aristotle had been there, then he would have said he believes in the creation of the world. You know, that kind of word. So the Rambam's like that. Now, there were others like that as well. People like the Rabbeinu Yonasana Cohen and the Chachmi Lunyel that we talked about last time, and they were like that too. That's why they looked at the Rambam as a master. However, there were others to the left of Maimonides who privileged science but did not share the Rambam's religious attitudes. This had always been a problem already in the 1180s, right? In the Middle East, the Rambam couldn't control them. So when he started discussing 
is he cares Chiyas Hamesim. There was some guy in Damascus, I forget who said, I don't believe in Chiyas Hamesim. It's just a bunch of legends. Even my Maimonides holds like me. Which was not true. But he couldn't shut the guy up. So these are people who use Maimonidean writings in ways that Maimonides himself didn't. Okay? Now, with the Ramam dead, Hutra Haritsua. People who shared none of Maimonides' virtuosity appropriated his motto, but without the Torah part, and without the, and without the Torah part, the motto part stunk. Why? Because it usually combined an attitude of cheap and arrogant skepticism of the Bible and the Talmud with a superficial education. This resulted in a willingness to discount or allegorize anything they didn't like. The allegories, by the way, that they came up with usually pretty lame. As people were talking about were not great thinkers. Frankly, they were mediocrities. So Maimonides was not a mediocrity. So he was the real thing, and they were knockoffs of, of a bad uh, uh, variety. Secondly, the guys I'm talking about were notoriously lax in Shmiras HaMitzvos, justifying that with cheap rationalizations. That really discredited them in the eyes of the front. So to use an American example, I said, why do you ever wake up in the morning and go to Shabbos? Eh, the realm doesn't believe in prayer anyway. You know, see like that, which is not true. I'm just saying, that guy's full of me, just look at the sleep leg. So don't bring in the Rambam over here, right? The Safer Mrs. Dills, I'll show you in a second, the smog. Very famous work from Moshe Kusi, who was a French rabbi, one of the Balitosas, who makes a very famous, uh, who was a, a, a preacher, among other things, and a firm preacher, and he makes a tour of Spain. And he says, everybody on the influence of the Maimonideans now has stopped keeping Trillin, mezuzahs, scissors, go to the next one. Here's a famous intro from the beginning of the smog. This is all very famous stuff. Oh, Zos, the I spoke in Spain, and I said, put your trillin back one. Yoser, Chavitz, HaKadosh, Baruch, Hubanam, Rosh, HaShayonich, Tfilin, Me'alam, Sarim. The less from you are, the more you need your Tfilin. Okay? Ve'ikrat Tfilin, the Sabli, Yuzich, Rosham, Li'ashan, Derech, HaTovo. The opposite. The Tfilin are there to make you go back on the Derech. Ve'yoser, Heim, Tzrichin, Zich, Rechizik, Me'yosin, Oshigir, Be'yosin, Oshmeib. The less religious you are, the more you need Tfilin. It's like the Lababish, you know? The less religious are, the more you need film as a chizik, okay? They vesirai gadova chazaka, and I brought all kind of proofs. I'll go down to the bottom of the paragraph, and he says, um, in this this year, Bishnas, Tuf Tuf Ksadim, in the year 1236, I traveled through Spain, to give him Musr, and the good Lord strengthened my efforts, my arms. I was able to interpret them dreams and stuff like that. And I started a Baal Shuba movement. And people took on a lot of repentance. And a lot of people started putting on mezuzahs on their houses, tzitzes on their person, filling, which they had abandoned already for a long time, because they heard from people, well, Maimonides is just a token, it's just a totem, it's just a concession of Buddha's are. Now, that's not true, but that's what they heard. You see, that's my point, okay? And I went throughout Spain and other areas, 
right? And they accepted my 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 speech. And he asked me to write for them a kiss which he did in the form of the smog. So this is a classic uh, text, which was always quoted to show the effects of what I would call left-wing Maimonideanism. Now, that's not the Rambam. It's left-wing Maimonideanism and the devastating effects it had on Shmiris, Hamitsis, Mysios. Okay? The worst of it, in my opinion, were that these guys were themselves raking Batora or raking Bemitsis. They were like I say, mediocrities. But they argued that they were superior to the from and unphilosophical pious Jews. And that was outrageous. So here's a guy who wakes up six in the morning to daven, to learn this and that and the other, and the other guy sleeping until eight and nine, and he said, well, I'm better because I'm a philosopher, you know, because I, uh, I know that uh, prayer is a pointless. Uh, that was a real inversion of the hierarchy and undermining the traditional and usual hierarchy by trashing the pious. They really introduced social tensions into the small Jewish communities, especially in Languedoc and in Spain. Whenever the Frum criticized such conduct, the left-wingers justified themselves by pointing to the Rambam's writings, especially in the Murnabuchim. It's just as I said, it's not what the Rambam intended. So, let's put it this way. From a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, he made a mistake of writing the book. And if, he only me- if he only meant it, to be read by a tiny, very few, uh, that's not what happened, it never does. All this drove the right wing crazy with anger. Many on the right wing, which happens in disputes, came to view the Rambam himself as bad, as a John Herkinus, whose earlier teachings are quoted and are part of the Torah, but not his later self. So you'll maybe remember, not Yochanan Kongodol, it says, Altam don't believe in yourself till the day you die. No, don't say, I'm already this in this age, and I've been a Shomer Shabbos until now. I always will be a Shomer Shabbos. You never know. Shari Yochanan Kohen Gadol, because the famous high priest, John Herkinus, the Hasmonean ruler, he was a Kohen Gadol for 80 years or whatever. And at the end of his life, he joined the Sadducees. Here's a guy who was Orthodox until he was old age and then switched to reform or something like that, to use modern terminology, right? And so this became the sprach and the rape of the extreme right wing. The Rambam, yeah. Uh, are you saying the Rambam's bad? Yeah, the Rambam's bad. What about the Mishatara? Well, that he wrote when he was young, when he was from. In his old age, he obviously went off the derech. Look what he wrote in his old age when he wrote the murder book. That's the attitude. That's baloney, but I'm just telling you what they said. And look at the bottom. This is a text from the right wing. In If it's true, the right-winger said, that the Rambam was actually a firm Jew and a Shomer Mitzvah. We have other examples of people who are from most of their life and then went off to Derech. So in other words, the right-wing rhetoric, as happens, as happens, you know, the right-wing rhetoric uh, went nuts. And they went extreme. And they started calling the Rambam names. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the major figures, but it's what happens when you have machlokas. The Shiva students, the younger guys, you know, the, the, the ones who like fights, the, they push the, the envelope. And thus things reached a boiling point in the year 1232, which would be about 30 years or so, almost, after the death of Maimonides, when the leader of the Frum faction, the Frum team in Montpellier, 
And the Frum team was smaller than the modern Orthodox team. Okay? They decided, they, they, they did the following. Since they hate the fact that people are reading the Murray Bukham, and they hate the fact that people are throwing it in their face, and so they wanted to get the others in the community to ban the internet, to ban the Murray Bukham. Nobody should read it. And they tried to argue with them that they should do this, but they obviously had no common language. And so they decided, therefore, to force the opposing team, they decided to force the opposing team to cease and desist, that is, to stop arguing for the exclusive correctness of the philosophical readings of the Bible and the Talmud, the historical relativism of the mitzvahs, and for advocating that everyone get a secular or an Aristotelian education. How can you force this? The Jews had no state. Well, the only arsenal they had in those days was the cherub, a ban or an excommunication. That's the nuclear option. You do this and this and this, otherwise I'll put you in cherub. Really? Now, there is a halacha like that. But you understand, to put somebody in official ostracism, excommunication, that's a heavy move. The problem, of course, is cherub depends on consensus. If I say this person should be ostracized, and everybody listens to me, it's effective. You lose your clients, you lose your friends, the school won't take you, the neighbors won't talk to you, if they all play ball, if they all go along. In order for it to work, realistically, all the rabbis have to be on board. Here's a famous example, as often quoted, is Rabban Cutler when he started the Chinech Asmai, and he made sure the rabbi's salvation should be there. Because he said, yes, I want everybody on board, right? That's just a matter of classic old-fashioned um, coalition politics. Even though he's using them for his own purposes, Rabbi Salvation was willing to support the Kenneth's money, and that sent a message out there. You get it? So in other words, you have to develop a consensus. Otherwise, it gets vitiated. Okay? It gets vitiated. Just comes to mind. Rav Shach said, Steinsauce is Trafe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe and the Ger Rebbe says Steinsauce is Kosher. So what is he in? You see what I'm saying? You have a split like that. So you don't have the effect of a harem. Now, um, how do you get both teams in Languedoc and in Spain in the 13th century on the same side? This was the challenge to the leaders of the right-wing faction. Let's go. The two big names was Rav Shlomo and Minahar. Minahar means he's from Montpellier. Ha-har, Mount, Montpellier, right? Uh, Rav Shlomo of Montpellier. And Rabbi Yono from Girona, who will become famous later on as the famous Rabbi Yono, who writes the Shari Shuv, etc. So he was his student. So one was the Rosh Hashim, and the other one was the Talmud. <clears throat> so these are people who have, I would say, a super Haredi yeshiva, small, inside Lunyel, I'm sorry, in Montpellier, when the Rove are with Toramata. Okay? Or even to the left of Toramata. Uh, these were the tensions in this tiny town, which, as we'll see, blew up and created a fire much larger. Okay? Now, the right-wingers, like Roshlom and Ahar and the others, appealed to the conservative half of the left-wing. Not to the losers who weren't from, but to the genuine Torah types. Join us in issuing a cherem. It is not about you. It's about the unqualified losers who are interpreting the Rambam in a loser way. But the they were maladroit. The proposed cherem was a cherub 
prohibiting the reading of the Mernabuchim and the bad parts, as they called it, of the Mishnah Torah. Whoa! And the prohibition was to apply to everybody. So basically, join us in banning, like I say, for computers and the internet and, and, and cell phones and all the rest of it. Okay? Now, the Torah model types, I repeat, these were great people. Like Rabbi, I mean, he wasn't alive anymore, but the people of the Rabbi Yonas and Akoin and the Chachmi Lunyel, great Rosh Hashivas of their own, but they were Maimonideans. And they were super from. But they were committed, as I say, to the Maimonidean ideals with the secularism and all the rest of it. Okay? They found this all very offensive. There could be no truck with any criticism of the Rambam to say you can't read the Rambam's books or something like you're dissing the Rambam. And anyway, you say it should apply to everybody. So you're saying we should sign a cherem that we too can't read the murder book? We too can't read the Sefer Amada, which is part of the Mishnah Torah? Now the right wing tried to say, no, we're not condemning the Rambam, we're condemning the reading of certain of his writings because they have the wrong effect on the people, not what the Rambam himself would have in mind. But that was only partially true. Yes, the Torah Amada agreed. Certain things are being misunderstood by readers, and that's where they're not from. But other things are not being misunderstood. You, the right-wingers, are misunderstanding them, and you condemn them unjustifiably, right? So in other words, a lot of things, it's basically like this. If you take it literally that God is a finger, or God gets angry, you are wrong, the Rambam's right. So you're doing the wrong thing. We are not going to sign a harem to say we condemn that. We actually hold that's right, and that you, the Haredim, are wrong in your hashkafas. So there could be no consensus in Montpellier and in Langok, which in turn, at least to me, indicates the lack of bridge building by the right wing in the preceding years. The social relations between the two must have been pretty bad. You couldn't get a picture like we saw before with Ron Cutler and Yosheb Salvation. Obviously, Shalom Benahar and Veniona were real types like that. And they were turned off to the other side. And uh, therefore, any attempt to sort of say, well, let's all join together something. They had built no, what's the right word? They had built no creds up until now. They had not uh, engaged in bridge building until now. Okay? So instead of accepting the reality that you're not going to get a consensus, instead of trying to dialogue seriously with the Torah Mata element, the right wing breached protocol. And they went Michusla Medina. And they sought support from such a harem from Tosus in northern France. So basically, they, they're living in the place Baltimore, and they appeal to Bene Brock to, uh, you know, to sign the, 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 the harem banning Baltimore from doing something. And indeed, Tosus, I'm talking about French Jewry in the 1230s, the very end of the Tosus period, would be Nikhil Paris, people like Judas Sherleon, people like that, the last generation, shall we see, of the Tosus. Remember, France is Ashkenaz, Super culturally insular, super yeshivish, as we say before. You have no interest whatsoever in Lunichol at all. And these guys in, in the south of France, on the Mediterranean, uh, are writing to them far away. And they say, join us in jointly issuing a harem, okay? Saying that it's usher for anyone, anywhere, to read the Murnabuchim or the bad parts of the Sefer Amado which would be the objectionable passages in Hilkos Yisraeli Torah, in Hilkos Shuba, and I don't know where else. Okay? But a big mistake had been made by the right wing, though they didn't realize it. The people 
like it's Rosh Hashim, Rosh Shlom and Ahara and Rabbeinu Yonah Gerona, it seemed that the support they got from Tosas because the rabbis in northern France, far away from this, did sign. Why not? That's a good idea. Like I said, let's ban the internet. It seemed that the support they got from Tosas, who were the Godoli Ador when it comes to learning, proved that the right-wing position of Montpellier was the correct one, and that Maimonideanism was trafe, or at least contained trafe elements. Look who signed! However, they had committed the sins of unilateralism and coercion. Unilateralism means you didn't get a consensus, you're just trying to force me. When you do something on your own, without getting agreement and consensus, you're going to get a blowback. You're trying to force me to do this in Shul, you're trying to force me to do this in my community. If you got an army to back you up, that's one thing. You ain't got no army. Heck with you. And you're trying to coerce me? So in other words, instead of trying to persuade me that reading the murder book is a bad idea, you're trying to say, we're issuing a, a, a harem from faraway rabbis that's religiously uh, prohibited. This was bound to provoke the most furious reaction and blowback. Because nobody likes to be told what to do, especially when I don't agree with you. You understand? This is an issue that has been discussed for decades already by this time in the 1230s. You had two opinions out there. Instead of saying Elu Elu, you're trying to say there's not Elu But I don't agree with you. There is Elu Elu. Right? And you're, what, you're trying to pull rank by getting some big rabbi behind you? It's just wrong. Now, a cheyrim, not issued by a kehilo, indeed against the wishes of a kehilo, by other kehilos from far away, this is not done. In the old traditionalist diaspora constitution, if I can call that, the unwritten constitution, the globe was uh, dotted with independent Jewish communities, once upon a time. I think you noticed if you've ever heard me talk. You have those autonomous coercive communities of yesteryear. So there's one in Rome, and one in, the, in Florence, and one here, and one in Paris, and a dozen here, and two dozen there. Wherever they're Jews, they get together and form kehillahs. Each kehillah was independent, and not subject to any other one. There was a broad consensus, but now you're trying to sharpen and narrow that consensus, and force it in others. The broad consensus was on fundamentalism, and anomianism, and things like that. Yes, we believe God. Believe the Torah. Now you're demanding more precise definitions. And you're saying, for example, that the consensus includes a consensus that the Rambam is trafe, or at least the writings of the Rambam are trafe. There's no consensus like that. Well, I don't care. I'm going to make you do it anyway. You don't want army. You can't do it. All right? <coughs> this was, it's, it's outrageous. You're getting others to tell Archeel what to do? To the people in Languedoc, the Balitosis who lived far away, were issuing a ruling on something that they themselves, the Balitosis, did not understand. You have no right to ban Limudichol, to ban it. This is an old tradition in Klal of learning Limudichol. Maybe you guys in Tosis land don't learn. You eschew uh, secular studies. That's fine. We're going to tell you what to do. But how dare you say it's usher? That's a lie. And the Gemara had people that were learned in secular studies. The Gaonim had people, included people, that were learning secular studies. There have been Jews here and there at all other times that engaged in secular studies. When you say it's also, that's a lie. It's politics already. It's not Torah. It is not true. Okay? So the Cheyram did not really 
accomplish its purpose by criticizing the Rambam directly or indirectly. They alienated the Torah Mata crowd. In fact, they drove the Torah Mata crowd into the arms of the leftists, which shows the political maladroitness of the Cherem. The whole idea was to isolate the non-from, marginalize them, ostracize them, and make them uh, go away. Instead, it fortified them by saying the right wing are a bunch of crazy fanatics, and anybody that agrees with them is wrong, you should join us, the left-wingers. And more dangerously, it inspired counter-unilateralism. <laughs> you do things to me without asking, I'll do things to you without asking. Thus, one of the most prominent Torah Umana figures in Languedoc, the Radak, or David Kimchi from Narbonne, launched a whole movement to inspire a counter cherem So in other words, anybody signed a cherem we're putting him a cherem Because you did something that was a lie and outrageous, and therefore there's a din. If you're Manada, somebody you're not supposed to do, you yourself get it. And it went, in fact, he went on a speaking campaign, a speaking tour of the communities in Languedoc and in northern Spain to get support for a counter cherem blasting the right-wing rabbis, and it got a lot of traction. So then the whole thing's falling apart. Because if A puts B in cherem, B puts A in cherem, it's like HaKash HaZedem. They cancel each other out. You see? And Zechil Hashem Shein Kamohu, and Judaism is falling apart. Okay? By the way, it also countered, uh, it also um, inspired counter-traction, because there were many who attacked the Radak. There's a famous, I'm not going to go into this now, we're not doing a seminar here, Rabbi Hudal Fachar, who was the, uh, the big, rich guy in Toledo, he wrote a whole thing blasting the Radak for going against the rabbis of France, and the Radak wrote back to him, it's back and forth and forth and back, I won't go into this. Basically, the Radak said, I guess, the Ramam didn't say anything that the Gonim didn't say, you know, about non-literalist or you know, giving an allegorical interpretation. You find it in the Gonim, it's not the Rambam. Now, in Aragon, which is northeastern Spain, the official Cahill of Saragossa issued a cherem, and so did other communities, which means, I want you to understand, that here we are, the important Cahillos in Israel, these are important communities in Spain, which in the Jewish map was a big deal, are now putting, i use modern terminology, they're putting Rav Shach in cherem, literally, Whoa! So, uh, such things like this never happened. This is unprecedented. Let's look at the next one. You say that this is what they write in Spain. You say that this guy, Rambam, is a heretic and a kaifer? Here's what we say to you. The Rambam is Moshe Rabbein. This is the Torah which Moshe Maimonides Moshe Maimon placed before Al Pi Hashem Moshe, which means we totally and categorically reject your assertion that there's something strange about the Rambam, and you deserve excommunication, which is a quite a big deal, uh, for 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 saying that. So now all of a sudden the right wing was on the defensive to their horrified surprise. We're not supposed to be put you in here, not the other way around. Rav Shlomo Ben Aharp, the leader of the right wing, now wrote to the leading posseg in um, Aragon, Shmuel Asardi. Shmuel Asardi is the Sefer Trumas. Basically, he's the founder of Chosh Mishpat. If you know anything about the history of Allah, 
the tour wrote the Chosh Mishmet from based on the Sefer Hatrus of Shmuel Sadi, who's a buddy of Ramban. So that's the kind of people we're dealing over here. And they wrote him a famous letter. We said, "I never insulted the Rambam. I hold the Rambam. I quote the Mishnah Torah in my shiurim, etc., etc." Okay, but the other side, of course, is, uh, but you're dissing him on this. It was too late. An ideological war had been unleashed by thoughtless unilateralism. A red line had been crossed. The right-wingers were beyond outraged at the dissing of the Gedoli Hadar. They didn't view their own cherem, which they issued, as unilateralists, but they did view the counter cherem as unilateralists. So as they say in the Gemara, Satan was having a good time because the two teams hate each other. Communities were now in civil war. So were families, spouses. So it was not a good time in 1232 to go and visit a community like Luniel or Montpellier or Barcelona or Saragossa or these type of places. Because you can imagine the tension in the shul at the mikvah, <laughs> at the Kiddush show. there's two teams hocking at each other furiously. It was in this fetid atmosphere of extreme partisanship that someone on the right wing crossed another red line. In order to explain this, you have to know just a little bit, a tiny bit, about the general context. The Roman Catholic Church, over the course of the Middle Ages, had a hot and cold relationship with Aristotle and his writings. Aristotle was around for Christianity, obviously, but ever since St. Augustine, I don't have to go into details, the same problem that Jews and the Muslims had. You know, how do we regard the Bible, including the New Testament, versus what Aristotle's writings? And, you know, um, for a long time, the church didn't know what to do about it. Then they were anti-Aristotle later when they changed their mind. Okay? At the time we're talking about, in the early 1200s, the Roman Catholic Church was in an anti-Aristotle mood, especially in Paris. This would change later on. Let's go to the next one. With the Catholic philosopher uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, who will reconcile Aristotelianism with Roman Catholicism after Thomas Aquinas reads the guide for the perplexed. He hates the Jews, but he's always quoting the Rambo. Um, not that big. But at the time we're talking about, they were anti Aristotle. As a matter of fact, in the year 1210, which is five years after the death of the Rambo, uh, the church in France burned a bunch of heretical books, including the physics and the metaphysics of Aristotle. That's their holding. Now, in 1232, in the midst of all these cherems and counter cherems and name calling, some Jewish right winger, that's never been clear to me, well, was Tom some idiot, or on the country, maybe it was a little bit of heart, maybe a big Rosh Hashiva. The sources disagree. Somebody on the right wing got it into his head to go and tell on the Rambam to the Roman Catholic Church, hey, we have a Jewish Aristotelian named Maimonides. Some of his writings are atheistic. They're not part of the Jewish religion. It is heresy l'chol hadeos, according to Judaism and according to Christianity. Therefore, it should be banned by the church and the coffees confiscated and burned. Because the Catholic Church, at this time, as I told you the other day, was in the midst of suppressing the Albigensian heresies, and they were burning people right and left, and burning the chassam right and left, and so killing and burning and all that was just par for the course. Now, ironically, when Team A in Christianity have been fighting Team B in Christianity, the Jews were out, left out. All the story we've been talking about were taking place against the background, usually, in which the Catholics, I'll, I'll call them the Catholics and the Cathars, that's how it works. 
Catholics were killed, and Catholics and so forth, and, and Jews were not being killed, except once in a while when they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but now, the Jews themselves are dragging Judaism into it. Okay? They appealed to the church militant, which I said before, was in the, in the midst of the bloody suppression of the Albigensian Apicorsim, and they said to them, right, You're burning your heretics in fire? So why are you not noticing our Apicorsim? Because you're only killing the Christian heretics. Why don't you take care of the Jewish heretics? Our people are mostly, unbelievable, are mo mostly heretics, meaning the Kofrim. Ki niftil dibri Moshe Mitzrayim, who have been seduced by the writings of Maimonides, of Moshe of, of Egypt. Asher Kosov Sifre Minus. This guy, Maimonides, has written books of heresy. Ateb, Mevar Mitzamina Shalachem. Hey, while you're burning out the Cathars, Baru no Gamazamina Shalonu. Why don't you burn some of our guys? But Savu Lisrofis as Farmahem. And burn the bad books. It's unbelievable. They're a Jew. A firm Jew, a firm Jew would go to a Catholic and say this. But it happened. The level of unilateralism boggles the mind and demonstrates why our ancestors were always so afraid of Machlokas because it gets out of hand to crazy levels. Well, guess what? The Catholic Church was happy to oblige. I mean, they're burning thousands of people anyway. What the heck? It seems that the books were burned in Montpellier. In other words, right in the middle of this small Jewish community, I mean, how big was Montpellier? A hundred families, maybe? Uh, so, you know, like the size of a shul. Okay? And the shul is divided into two teams. I know how big each team was. Two teams. And Team A calls the Catholic Church to go burn this farm of Team B. Can you imagine that? So it's in your face, which must have raised communal tensions to the boiling point. I mean, if they had a kiddish, I'm sure it was a fist fight. You understand? Now, as I said before, if it was in Montpellier, which is a small town, it's crazy. Do you see why I chose this subject for the three weeks lectures? Now, the location of Montpellier doesn't make sense because that's where the two teams were located. Other accounts say that the Catholic Church burned these books, the Rama books, in Paris. Which makes possible sense in a different way. Because Paris was the headquarters of the fanatical Sorbonne, which at that time was a Roman Catholic institution, and they had a fanatical cardinal and archbishop. And so they did like burning books in, in Paris, and they did it very often. So it could be. The Paris location entered the Jewish popular imagination and the art scroll Kino's books, because of the events of 10 years later in 1242. There's a whole story, which I'm not going to go into now, where 10 years after this, in 1242, under different circumstances, the Catholic Church burned all this farm, the Gomorrah's Tosas, and everything. It's what we are going to mention in Tisha B'Av this coming week, when you do Shali's roof of Eshel and the Marm Rottenberg. Okay? So, uh, I'll get into a little bit more about that later, because it's 1230... So if you say they burned in Paris here and they burned here, it's like a Xerashoah. More about this uh, shortly. But as regards the burning of the books of Maimonides, some of the Torah Umada sources claimed that these Jews 
these right-wingers were happy to delate and rejoiced over the book burnings. If this is true, as an if, if they were, then they were mamish fanatics. Like the Torah character types who go to Ahmadinejad's the Holocaust denial festival in uh, Tehran a few years ago. Look at this. Kiroz hamordim aposhim yob desikvasob Right? When these bad Jews, now this is a Torah monosource. He's referring to the right wing as Murdim and Pushim. So when he saw it, it's not working. But when Kaima saw, when he saw getting the French rabbis in uh, Tosus to sign the Cherem isn't doing the trick, they arose in all their arrogance. And they dared to say Loshan Hara. And they went, right, to, among each other. And they started having bull sessions. And in the bull sessions of the right wing, they said, why are we driving ourselves crazy? Give it to the Catholic Church, the Kamarim, the priests. Get the big shots, the cardinals, and the Tzirim would be the, uh, the friars. Okay? You know, the, the priests, the Franciscans, the Dominicans. Right? And tell the Catholics to go and pursue the Jewish heretics. And to exterminate the evil nose, get rid of all the, get rid of all the Ramon books. Keep going, next one. They said to the Catholic Church, we have heretical books. These books are full of blood. You, the Catholics, are supposed to protect the entire public from heresy. So that means you're supposed to protect the Christians from Christian heresy, but you're also supposed to protect, they said, the Jewish communities that live among you from Jewish heresy. Kamonu kakamochem. You and us are the same. Kumusu aleim kliklirik hasigum, and he presented the Rambam stuff as something empty. Ridfu maherachem kisasigum. Go after them and catch them. Me catch these books. Baru beish ba Moshe wasecha Moshe wasam. Burn them with fire. Lo toshuva kolosim to do a complete job. Kirbelam matonas. And the Catholics weren't interested in this. So these right wingers gave them bribes. They gave them matonas. And they gave the Catholic Shalach Manas to persuade them to burn the Jewish books. And they gave them clothes and all kinds of bribes. Till they blinded the Catholics to the eternal shame of the right wing. And unfortunately, they were able to carry out their bad design. Right? And these wicked right wingers. They were so happy with what they did that the day they burned the Rambam's farm, they made like a yantra, like you know, like a Purim. You know, if, if, when something good happens, you're supposed to commemorate every year. Okay? And so, um, there's real fanaticism. Burning Jewish, Jewish books was a first. Operating through the Catholic Church was a first. Both the left wing and the Torah Mata were, of course, beyond outrage. In Egypt, the Rambam's son, Abu Menaram, was still alive, classy as always. He said, 
let it go. I'm telling the right left wingers, don't retaliate. Let there be no fights. Look, they're doing my father a favor. They're doing um, a favor to my father's books by burning them. It's a compliment, like Eliyahu because Eliyahu went to heaven in a fire. So when they burn my father's books to go to heaven, right? Look what the Rambam wrote. This is Avram ben Rambam. Ma baru amim ki baru What do you think that they burned when they burned these precious books? Yakram Mizov, more precious than gold. Eish ochla hema. My father's books are like the Torah. Eish ochla. They themselves are consuming fire. The eich eish tochleim. How do you think regular fire can burn them? Bein lezos barim. Consider this, you fools. For Oze Rav and those who help arrogance. Einze, right? Wait, Echze. How do you think this is? I'll tell you what it is. I will olu kamo tishvi When you burn my father's books, they went like tishvi, like Elio Navi, to Ganadin. Um, They're like an angel up in Hemkos. You know, like in the Shimshon story, sometimes an angel goes to Shemayim and Eish. So basically, he's trying to put the best spin on it. Get it? Trying to put the best spin on it. Uh, this poem, by the way, if you know a little bit, since this week is going to be Tisha Bob, this poem obviously inspired Mom Rottenberg, because 10 years later when they burned the Gemaras, he uses the same language. It's Eish Lochel Eish, and how can they be consumed by Eish? Indeed, Avram Ben Arambam wrote an entire book describing the anti-Maimonides campaign and its results. Now, he was an agent. He obviously got reports from Alondo. Here is an English translation. The Milcham Hashem, the words of the Lord, by uh, Fred Rosner. You know, by Abraham Maimonides, in defense of his father Moses Maimonides. So it's a, if you're interested in that subject. The left wing, however, in Languedoc, in Montpellier, in places like it, were so enraged that they said, two can play this game. And so they hired ruffians who went to the right wingers and cut out their tongues which was not unknown in the Middle Ages. It was not uncommon for many centuries. If you catch a musser, they would cut off the tongue. So you can't tell you whether you know it or not. The Shalos and Shubas literature is full of cases. It was all shouted, can I cut out this guy's tongue? So he won't tell me. I did a podcast and I said, well, I'll go with the Marm Lublin all about that. He said, don't do it because the guy's kids will take revenge to the Jewish community. Just bump the guy off. But cutting out tongues was, uh, was not unknown. So look at what we're dealing with over here. Right? Look at what we're dealing with over here. Now, I just want to say, there's a historical problem, as far as I'm concerned, with this incident. Number one, did it actually occur? Number two, whose tongues were cut out? Um, if it really happened, some say it didn't happen. I think it did. As Professor Grossman and others, the consensus is it happened. It makes total sense to me. Uh, if it really happened... Then whoa. Intra-Jewish violence was mamish ratcheting up. And the tiny, weak communities we're dealing with in South France and Spain, they couldn't handle this kind of level of violence. Jewish community is fragile all the time. Very delicate. 50 families here, 100 families here. You know, they can't have these kind of fights. You get it? Especially if it gets violent. And number two, whose tongues were cut out? Was it the right-wing idiots? Or was it the tongue of the Rosh Hashiva? Shlom Benahar, some say. Uh, in which case, one of the Gedolia Dark, because he was a big person. 
No mushy, it's oh my god. So we're dealing with some serious questions over here. Abraham Maimonides, Avram Ben Rambam, if you read the book, as always, when he heard about this, says the PC thing, which was, I'm sorry it happened, but they brought it on themselves. It doesn't make me feel good. I wonder, this is from Avram Ben Rambam. Matiki Ajvarm Hosil Kolbar's name, people who copy these, uh, we say they reporters, have spread the word. Kisifri Arab Sadiq Abamori, Sifmur Nabuch and Mado, Sarfurason, that my father's books were burned. First half in Montpelier with the help of the Catholic Church. I'm not surprised the right wing was going to the Catholic Church. Basically, their theology is very similar. Both of them believe in a goof. You know, we say Elo Dumas a goof. The Catholics, I don't have to tell you, have taken the idea of Elo Dumas a goof to the ultimate level. And even these other guys. They think that you can believe that. I didn't get exactly the report clear, the Rambam says. Until I got a report from Akko. Megil Sefer, Machlami Shefer. Somebody wrote me a book, a, a report. The whole story. And I got the report of how my father's books were burned. And how God, the judge of the world, punished the Malshin of the right wingers. The ones who caused the books to be burned, their tongues were cut off. And there was even a Pusset in Tehillim, which says, God should, King David said, God should cut out their tongues. Of the people who speak bad. Kamu Murray Shov on Murray Sedek. These bad rabbis went against Murray Sedek, against my father. And they tried to turn him into junk. Cholak Libam. Their hearts turned away from God. But even for them, Paris Sakas Paris. And God punished them with a Paris in the place of a Paris. You know, Paris is a breach. So you tried to mess my father up, you got messed up. Shot to Bashamayim PM. They showed your hearts. They showed tell him. King David says, their, their mouths speak about the heavens, but their tongue drags on the ground. Well, in this case, their tongue was dragging on the ground. Okay? And again, he's quoting that, you know, the, those who speak sheker against my father are now driven mute. Yeah, because they cut off their tongue. And the good Lord knows I did not approve of this. This is going too far. You don't cut people's tongues out. This was not my plan. Okay? But Dhamma Barosham, it's their own fault. Hey, Ms. Chaim Ben Ashosim, it's their fault. If they would ask me, I would say, just let it go, turn the other cheek. That was my father's policy. Turn the other cheek. But that's not what happened over here. But I cannot say, looking over here, I didn't approve. But I cannot say they didn't deserve it. Matter of fact, let's put it this way. Mita Kenegamita. So, look how bad things happen. So was the harem a success? Did it persuade the left wing and the Torah mana to stop reading the Ramos books? No. The opposite. They doubled down and the right wingers came to be hated and neither side was willing to be flexible or conciliatory. 
because that is what unilateralism does. Indeed, some say that the right wing then hired people to cut out their tongues of some of the left wingers, in which case it was a good business season for criminals. Narratives evolved and became part of Jewish folk memory, especially from the pro-Maimonides types. There's a very famous account, which is not exactly true, but which nevertheless contains some truths and has entered the popular imagination and 10 million sermons and books and websites from Hill of Verona, who was a student of Benyona, who was a pro-Maimonidean guy. His father was actually one of the latest polytosis. He was a firm guy, but he became a big doctor in Italy. And uh, he wrote a famous uh, book and an account to a friend. And look what he writes over here. This is lengthy, but it's written very well. He's writing to a guy who's skeptical about Maimonideanism. My brother, you want to get involved in these fights? Ask what happened 60 years ago. That a few right-wingers in, of the Chacham in Provence in Catalonia arose, al to attack the Ramos books, and it wasn't Lishma, was all for personal jealousy, no, as we say, to the politics. That's his opinion. But they had no physical power to attack the Maimonideans. They were probably a minority anyway. So instead what they did was they, they used the, uh, words and they claimed that you guys are, are heretics and they took a number of copies of the Murnabuchim and so forth. He went to France, to Paris. And he went to the rabbis in France and accused them of heresy. He most of his farm polonium, shum de minus, and they said this is all um, uh, minus, you know, heresy. No, the rabbis in France didn't even read it. These guys read in selected portions. They interpreted it in a very uh, negative way. The rabbis in France didn't read the books. They weren't interested in that. And they listened to the Lashon Harnitz. And they said that all these copies should be destroyed, the rabbi said in France. And anybody who reads this to be put in harem and his property confiscated, be and to be excommunicated. And they weren't satisfied with that. They burned them. They burned all the books that they could get their hands on. And they even got the church, they took the fire from the cathedral to light the fire to burn the books. And the Catholic priest once set the fire from Ramos books, according to this account, were burned in the streets of Paris publicly. Let's go to the next one. Also, to publicize that this was heresy, and to um, humiliate, to, to embarrass, to, to uh, condemn the books of the Rambam. And they sent these uh, harems all over Provence, 
And this started a sharp sword in those big fights in all the Jewish communities. And the arguments got bigger and bigger. It got into fistfights. The physical violence in the shul in Montpelier, like I told you. But see a shame now, and everybody was mostly shame on the other, telling Lash and Hara. And those who were pro Rambam, yeah, this would be anti Rambam, fell into, into Lash and Hara. He saw for 80 Shekhar, they hired false witnesses, negative Kat Luba, against the Maimonides. And they testified falsely against him in the French courts. But Huzmu, and they didn't mind lying. And that's how he ended up cutting out their tongues. That's his version. And more than 10 people on the right wing had their tongues cut out. Uh, this was God's punishment. And everybody said, quoted the Tehillim, you know, uh, because, as they say, it says in Tehillim, they, they speak against the heavens and their tongues are lying on the ground. Well, when these guys' tongues were lying on the ground, everybody quoted that passage. Um, let me get back to the story. Be a Paris. What happened? The Rabbani Shalom got angry and was zealous for the outrage done to the Rambam, and, the, and, and he was uh, zealous and angry at the outrage done to the Rambam's books. And as punishment, God sent on the Frumi communities in France his anger, and didn't spare the Torah of the French, of the Tosas. And of course, they all were burned. The Alta Talmud is there, the Elohim, And don't say, come on, how could it be that thousands of Gemaras and Tosas were burned because two books of the Rambam were burned? There's no proportion. The Rambam is no small deal. People like another Moshe Rabbeinu. But Sid Kazakliba, he was a Sadiq Ador. But Osim Harm Kibn Levaisho, Hosea Shemra, Shalom Shem Shemayim. And when they burned his books, it was Shalom Shem Shemayim. Therefore, Hashem said, I'm going to wipe out Jewry, Judaism, and France. The Chen Choraf Hashem Bahem, that was angry at them. Shamra Busenu, Borei, Kamagdol, Kogos, Shabusha, Sira, Koshbach, Barkamsa, Tervei Chilo. And he quoted the famous word, I mentioned this because we're now in the nine days. In a few days, it's Tishabok. I think most people are familiar with the famous account in the Talmud that the reason that the base mission was through because Kamsa Bar Kamsa. And the bottom line is the guy was embarrassed at the at this Uda and Kamsa Bar Kamsa. These were two guys who were not particularly nice figures. And they were just embarrassed at the And if that brought down the Korban of the Beis Hamidosh, then how about when you insult the Rambam? Don't be surprised that brought down the Korban of the whole by Tosasira because they destroyed all the books. That's the argument, okay? Ma Tomar, Rabbeinu Moshe, Mishnah Moshe Rabbeinu should be Zubot, see what love came out, Minsuk Fear, Ishamayim, Elizos, Nisakam Sel, God will never punish, forgive this. And it goes on and on, right? Ela Machila, you know, for Mosi Shemra, let's go to the next page. Lachain Achi, Alta Tamas Hashem, Yisbarach Onesh Torres, 
B'nai Tzarfas, the Kavod Rebbeinu Moshe. Don't be surprised if God burnt all the Tosus books as a, as a punishment for the insult to the honor of, of the Rambam. The Lonesuponim, and he gave no uh, uh, flattery. The Sifriya Talmud Shalem, even their Gemaras, by Yashkef Alembam, with Eshwa Anam, it was like a pillar of fire came down to burn all these things because I think you know that um, the Catholic Church weren't all the, the books in the street. Uh Shalem called Galochus, all the Catholic priests were going crazy over this, this Khajigos, and that started the Catholic Church to persecute the Jews themselves. Once they destroyed their books, they destroyed the Jews of France. Right? Hargiosim Gimalafim, more than three thousand French Jews were killed. And these would be the from the books will burn. And the Catholic Church prohibited the study of the Talmud, which is kind of true. This has to do with the events of the 1240s in France. So I'm not saying this is correct. I'm saying that here's a guy writing years later who was a younger person in this generation. And if you're in the pro Rambam camp, then you interpreted the Holocaust that hit France in the 1240s as just punishment for what the right-wingers in France had done to the Rambam 10 years earlier. That's what he says, okay? Uh, now, he says not 10 years earlier. He said 10 days earlier, <laughs> which is not true, right? I didn't say this is true. This is not true. But this is the way he heard it. Being Tishal. So basically, you guys, this the Rambam. Now, it's also to learn the Gemara in France. Right? Now, um, where is it over here? How do you know what you're saying? How do you know that the reason for this Holocaust in France is because of the Rambam incident? I can answer you. The proof is, less than 40 days later, less than 40 days after they burned the Rambam, in the middle, let's say, of Parkites, they burned the Gemaras and all the toasts and everything else in the same spot. That's what he said. But it's our vapor, Sibri Tom Vapor, Sibri Amada, and the embers, you know what I mean? The, the burned paper mixed together because it was still a whole large black site where they burned the Rambo stuff and now they burned a ton of the Gemara stuff. And what was the idea? You see, Moshe Emmons with the Ross Emmons, the Rambo. Kiadain have a from a Machon, Vizam, Zedar Emmons, Vagoli, Mephorsen, Ukhalami, Yudogan. Everybody knows the story. And that immediately demonstrated that this was a punishment from God. And that God himself was punishing the French Jews. I repeat, the right-wingers, the French Jews, uh, for attacking the Rambam. Now, this guy who's writing this, Hill of Rodham, was a Talmud, as you'll see in a second, of Rabbeinu So he was, Rabbeinu was the second in command of Shalman Ahar. So Rabbeinu was the leader of the right wing, okay, in Montpellier. Uh, and now he tells a very famous story, which I think is a legend. But again, became, you'll read this a thousand times. And it goes like this. He was the leader of the right wing in France. When the Gemaras were burnt, 40 days later, I'm going by his story. Then his heart melted, the Lavav Kolozhov and his followers, and he saw he was wrong. And he said he's going to go to the grave of Maimonides and beg forgiveness. And to do like they say in the Gemara and the Kabbalah, 
to go to the grave seven days in a row. And ask forgiveness for having attacked his books. And Jermaine Yonah went around and did a 180. And he went publicly and he said, I'm hitting myself in the face. And I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I opposed the Rambam in his books. And I uh, am publicly confessing voluntarily. He was right and we were wrong. And I'm a cobbler myself, according to the story, to go to the grave of the Rambam, with a minion, he gave this speech in the synagogue in Paris right after the burning. Let's go to the next one. Listening at Kahal and Yosem to surviving French Jews. And he went down to Montpellier. So he gave this speech in Montpellier and then in Barcelona in Spain. But my call Kahal in a public speech, because Nafal Pachad Rabbeinu called Kielus, and then the cover of the Rambam hit everybody in a big way. And the anti-Maimonideans were influenced by this, and they also repented, according to this version. Barcelona, and Rabbeinu Yona stayed for a while and made a yeshiva in Barcelona. And he quoted the Rambam in every shir. And with Ramam said it, I'm not going to argue against it. So he did a 180 according to this. With all this, he didn't escape punishment, because he delayed doing what he was supposed to do, which is go to the Middle East and go beg forgiveness on the grave of the Rambam. Being in Spain, he basically forgot about the whole thing. He went to Toledo and from there to go to the Middle East, to the Ramos grave. And being in Toledo, they begged him in Spain to stay and run a yeshiva in Toledo for a little while. And he agreed with instead of a big yeshiva. And that killed him. Even though it was a big tzaddik. He didn't escape the punishment for his great sin. He died in some bad way. He said, I don't want to say what. But Karol came by and then it was because he didn't uh, because he, he didn't keep his promise. Because on his deathbed he cried, I apologize to the Rambam. Those who keep their vows survive, and those who don't, don't. And if you ask me a question, the author says, How do I know this story about the Rabbeinu Yonah? Ashiv, I'll answer you. The Barcelona, this is the hill of Verona. I learned in Yeshiv in Barcelona for three years. And I was a Talmud of Rabbeinu Yonah. Who had Sadiq, Karo, a young Tzitzim Barcelona, no, secretly me, Peeve, and he himself, Rabbeinu Yonah, told me everything I just told you, os os, word for word, kasher kasaf, liot, kachashah, Barcelona, Toledo. He told me everything 
Now I described you on Tol's journey to Toledo. Lanis, Barcelona, Benoso, Toledo. And I was there when he left Barcelona to go take up the new shell in Toledo. And I kissed his hand like a Rebbe does to a Talmud when we departed. And he gave me a bracha. And how he died in some bad way. I have no idea what he's talking about. In Toledo, is well known. In Royal Farshbug covered Tarasa Hasiduso. It was a disgrace, so I don't want to mention it. Vinyam Shoy by Montpellier in Paris. After what happened over there in Montpellier in Paris, he died to me, called me, called me, I killed Montpellier. I heard it from the people there from Yosi Shum, Kamuyo Takas, I was saying. And now other people are trying to start, he says, in his time, 60 years later, in the time, I'm out of the Abubit. Now, this is a very well known text and uh, often uh, cited and quoted. It's not 100% true. I, first of all, I don't know if any of it's true, but um, it, but it doesn't matter. It entered the folk imagination, and any time nowadays, if you look at a Dvar Torah for Pashtachukas, which is supposed to be when they burned the books in 1242 in Paris, oh, they'll always bring this story out, because it's one of those classic Jewish texts. But in point of action, which is the reason I shared it with you, um, and it goes to show you that this was the raid out there. Now, Really, I don't think it happened in Paris at all. It happened in Montpellier. That's what we think today. But it's a great story. And that's why it's remained in the popular imagination. I don't think it's true to Benny Yonah. So I'm, 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 uh, I'm apologizing all the rest of it. But I could be wrong. I wasn't there. What emerges from all the accounts is, number one, there was a bitter machlokas. Number two, the burning of the Rambam's book by the church at the behest of the Jews. Number three, the shock that this act uh, engendered and some kind of violent revenge that was perpetrated. And finally, the ineffectuality of the harem on the country, the lowering, uh, lowering of the esteem of the balitosis in uh, Languedoc and in Spain, certainly among the left and among the Torah And there was no end in sight, it only got worse. The broad public out there, always anxious for a quiet life, yearned for a voice of reason. They don't want to get involved in these fights. You just want to sit there, raise your children, you know, Earn your living, dominant shul, you want a quiet life, okay? Um, so basically, there was an objective need for a vital center. Can I put it that way? Now, it's always that way. The broad public just wants quiet. And this is when, and why, the Ramban, who was born in 1194, now intervened with his famous public letter addressed to the Tosas. This in the 1230s, before the incident of the burning of books. Ramban, not the Ramban, the Ramban, Moshe Benachman, is a classically complex character from Christian Spain, very different than the Ramban. On the one hand, he had a Tosus Chinuch. His teachers were French from the Balitosus, who emigrated to northern Spain. He's in Girona, not far from the French border. And so he would have what we would call today a very yeshivish education. On the other hand, he was an MD, which means he had a secular education. So he was a hybrid in this particular regard. And some of who had... Now remember, the Rambam did not go to Yeshiva. This guy, the Ramban, went to what we call today Yeshiva. And he was a super uh, pilpalist, as we know, and one of the great Lamdan of all time. And on the other hand, he had a secular education. He was a doctor. In his case, the Ramban developed along different lines than Maimonides in terms of mentality and hashkafa. Doubtless, the fact that when he was a teenager already, 
he was a member of a Kabbalah Chabura. Because one of the famous things about the Ramban's uh, early youth is that some of the early Kabbalists moved to where he was, and he was one of their guys in their Chabura. Uh, strongly influenced him along anti-Aristotelian lines. So Ramban emerged as a type of yeshiva guy who went to college, but totally compartmentalizes. Plus, he resents the professors who dissed Judaism. And a guy like this, that I just describes, holds Torah Mata in contempt in principle. Right? He has a college education, but he said, but that should have no influence whatsoever in the Judaism. So he was definitely a member of the right wing in Ashkafa, and he was also the greatest Talmudist in Spain and beyond. Arguably the greatest Talmudist in the 1200s. But he also knew the secular stuff. I might add that he was a relative of the uh, right wing leader, Rabbeinu Yonah of Gerona. Rabbeinu Yonah's aunt, that was his father's sister, was the mother of Ramban. All this could have made Ramban a polarizing figure. But he chose to make himself to use his prestige, because I want you to understand, Ramban was, not, was without question the number one Rosh Hashiva in Spain. Okay, let's get that straight. He chose to use his prestige to be a bridging figure, or maybe an intelligent right winger who saw and perceived that things had gotten out of control. As a traditionalist Jew, Ramban certainly saw the tremendous dangers from the disunity that was unraveling. Although Ramban strongly disagrees with the Rambam on many, many issues, as anyone acquainted with his writings knows, he does so Notice, he argues with the Rambam, the Rambam is a from guy, he's like another reason. He can strongly disagree, believe him, he strongly disagrees with what the Rambam said. But it's like, you know, Tosa disagrees with Rashi or something like that, you know. In other words, to the Rambam, Maimonides was a Godelador, among the biggest, and so he's totally entitled to that kind of Derek Herod's as one of the biggest Gedolim. And it was evident to the Ramban that Tosfus was simply clueless about who Maimonides was. And so he undertook to educate Tosfus. If Tosfus understood the true stature of Maimonides, they would withdraw the Cherem and apologize, and all the bad blood hopefully would disappear. Such was the purpose of the public letter or two that the Ramban now issues. I mean, it was written to somebody, but it was copied and sent copies everywhere. Now, in order to do this, Ramban had to sort of shoot the bull, to a certain extent. Because he was writing to the Balitosis, the French rabbis, who were super yeshivish, beyond, beyond, super culturally insular. So, he basically couldn't explain, in the terms that I tried to do, who Maimonides was. For people with the mentality of Tosis, Ramban figured that Maimonides has to be um, portrayed as a right-winger who had to do MCSY. He had to do Bekaira Probing. You know, and he writes this at length. Right? You don't know what it's like. People read these Bukaisha books. They're influenced by Galenus, by Galen, and Aristotle, and it leads them off to Derek. And the Rambam had to do Baleo severely. The Rambam himself did all that. But in order for Kira purposes, and he says, you have no idea what the college campuses are like, to use modern terminology. In a long, flowery letter, prefaced, of course, by the de rigueur declarations of self-abnegation, the Ramban tried to make Tosis understand that B'nai Brak is not identical with Tel Aviv. You have no faith problems, but out there, many do. And you can't simply say, ban it, don't deal with it. 
your comparison the Rambam to John Hercules is outrageous. The Rambam was a firm guy to the end. In fact, that was a firm guy. He was a gong. He was a tzaddik. He was a doctic with mitzvahs. You can't toss these terms around. This is the Ramban talking to Tosis. And remember, he holds from them. You should see the beginning of it. You guys are the greatest and all that. And he was yeshivish. So he really did hold from them. Right? But on this, you just open your mouth without thinking. And you said things that are terrible, that are pretty bad. Compared to Rambam, the John Herkinus, who became a Tzaduki. He needs those Lord Tzaduktim Amadchem. You volunteers are wrong in this. You did not speak correctly about someone who was in Ebed Hashem. Now, I don't agree with him, Ebedik, but he was in Ebed Hashem. And I'll tell it to you straight. Because I'm not shooting a bull. And I'll tell you right away it is. Because I am being zealous for this gone and for his honor. Why are you bugging the Rambam? And declaring somebody was a tzaddik into a Russia. Hello, Shaltam of Talk to people who know. Those who really know how to describe the Rambam. His, um, his praise. Those who knew him. See what they write about him. Malas chasi do so. Tokef amunoso. Okens amvasoso. Gedulas yichuso. Nidvas kiso. Maisen efloim. Bemil hanorin. Look how he was a chasid. He was a muno. His anova, he was humble. He had big yichas. He was charitable. He did tremendous maisen. He wrote so well. Biosen biyosel. He dove with choshek. All of his life, he was dubbing with the, uh, in Yerushalayim, with Talmud Yoshek, he kissed the Gemara Nuz, he wasn't anti-Talmud, the opposite. Right? Um, oh, he wasn't making fun of the uh, Chazal. He loved them. Hey, Machmed, Eno, Machmed, Nasho, there is heroes, Ateris Larosho. In Re'ezim Swarov, if you actually ever read his books instead of just dissing them, in the document if you ever look closely at his writings, have you, you, did you actually find anything up from there? Look through all those halachas and everything. Did you find anything? Did you find Mavai Bisurim? That he's uh, going against some Isser? Kalvach Palach Hamorim? If Hishmi Kaltachan did he omit any Drabonim? Velosa Siyag Is there any Siyag that he omitted? In Helov Enov Mirim Vyadayim? Does he not believe in Ervin? In Nitilz Yadayim? In Shachach Omer Begorim? All the halachas, as we say today from Dal Chalki Shukran, are in the Rambam. Right? It's not some left wing book. He's got everything in there. Okay? How do you say he's not from? Hello, As a matter of fact, he's more machmer sometimes than necessary. Don't go like this, you know, treat with contempt facing the East. Who out there was able to beat the non from? I think he means here. The the Karaites and people like that. Me nosim habay susim l'shosim. Hello, Rava Zalayma. He was a champion of orthodoxy. Hovish roch ve'susim ba'otzi adir mechasim alachem. He got rid of the Karaites from their position of leadership in Egypt and from the royal court. Mipachli yogur miseisu charedim. Because of, they were afraid of the Rambam, they didn't cause any trouble. Rabbi me imami arts misyadim, and he caused many Amaratim to become frumer. He never pachad a rabbi leim. This chazik more al kulam.
So basically, you simply don't know who you're talking about. So how can you do that? Okay? Now, um, where is the basic courtesy for a Torah scholar? He even quotes the bitter remarks of Shem ben Yochai in the morning Shabbos. Zonas of prostitutes treat each other with courtesy. Rabbi Shun, right? And then he says, and you're going to say this now, you and your little place in France, you think he's not from. The whole Middle East considers them the firmest. In Yemen, they, they, they mention him in the Kaddish. And you're going to say now, the guy's a heretic? Or someone who thinks he writes heresy? You'll cause, like, super mental problems for a thousand Jews. Why don't you take this into account when you write a harem? Dermpan, interesting, also offers a modern argument. If you're too strict, they'll rebel. You can't tell people, no cell phones. You know what I mean? You can't do it. And you're telling nobody can read the book. So it was a wrong idea of the Khermu issue on very many grounds. Furthermore, Bishlam made a Mardibuchum. You want to ban the Mardibuchum? I don't agree, but I hear that. What's with the Sefer Amada? Right? I mean, really? Because he mentioned Gehenna and all this in a non literal way. Even you guys, the Ashkenazi Sefer Rokeach, the big Makobo, talks about the same way. Not from Greek sources, from Kabbalistic sources. You know, the, the, the Mukabalim are even bigger on Eno de Musaguf, Eno Guf. Echad ve'en yochi kihudo. From Kabbalistic reasons, okay? So you can't say, you see, the, the mystics in Ashkenaz, who are the firmest of the from, talk about the unknowability of God. So it's not a Maimonidean business. They're super from. And finally, in general, instead of unilateral declarations of coercion, Try positivity. You can't, like I said before, you can't tell everybody no cell phone. As he says, you, the whole Tzibur is not Hasidim. Hasidim will by themselves not have a cell phone. I'm talking about Hasidim in the old sense, right? Pious will, will, will do that. I mean, you can't impose this. You're making a harem when anybody doesn't agree with you. On Ramos' writings. You can't do that. Try positivity. Withdraw the harem. Stop with the don'ts. And just emphasize learning. Gabor Rashitos, as we say today, is a better idea and will dampen the passions and hatred. This is the purport of the letter of the Ramban. Now, uh, the 40-year-old Ramban. It showed the awareness that things had gotten out of hand. But would his plea be heeded? Or would there be more burnings and mutilations? Let's wait for that for next time. Good night. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.